If you have a story you would like to hear featured on this podcast, please go to AsTheRavenDreams.com and click the button to submit your story. Also, if the platform you're listening on has the option to rate this podcast, please consider doing so. And thank you. I grew up in a religious home until I moved out at the age of 18, right after high school. As a kid, my parents loved to send us older kids to any church retreats that they could. Most of the time, they were pretty fun, getting away from my family to hang out with friends and free roam most of the time, and with my own money to spend how I want, what kid wouldn't enjoy it? The ones that I did not like, however, were the camping trips. The ones where they actually had us sleeping in the good old outdoors. It was not my thing. I hated the heat and getting hot and sweaty. I hated bugs, and I wasn't a fan of most sports. I also was not a fan of going swimming in the lakes that we camped by, but that's a scary story in and of itself. So, needless to say... I didn't typically have fun with those, but I was still required to go. So, when summer came around one year, they signed myself and my older sister up for one of their summer retreats in Texas. It was going to be five days long, but at least my sister and a few of my friends would be there. Most of the events and activities were done as a whole, but there were a few things they split up by age and gender. The sleeping area was split up as well, by genders. Most of us slept in tents, but there was one cabin on each side, male and female, that some people got to stay in, either due to disabilities, or just paying for an actual cabin room. If you guessed that our parents didn't pay for those, then you are correct. We just got tents and sleeping bags. The first night wasn't that bad. It actually seemed to be a bit cooler, and I even slept with my tent open to keep it cool. It had a mesh cover, thankfully, to keep the bugs out, otherwise I wouldn't have done that. It was a bit hard to sleep, however, as there wasn't much cushion between the bottom of the tent and the sleeping bag. However, I sucked it up and made it through the first night. The first actual day there was fun. They had a few games planned out for us, which included a water balloon slash water gun fight, so we could stay cool. And then we all met in the auditorium-like center where we had a sermon. Afterwards, we had dinner, and then had free time to do as we pleased. That night was about the same, but instead of getting used to it over time, it became less and less bearable, so it was taking longer to fall asleep and stay asleep. I also felt like I was becoming paranoid, as I heard what sounded like someone walking outside of the tents. I kept trying to tell myself it was probably just one of the camp counselors, and to ignore it. One of those days, though, I started feeling ill. My stomach was constantly in knots, and I had the start of what I now know as a migraine. I didn't want to do anything, but... I wasn't allowed to do that until free time, so I had to grin and bear it, 
and put in the bare minimum so that they would leave me alone. At one point, just to get out of playing volleyball, I asked to use the restroom and quickly started heading towards them. Thankfully, there was an actual building for them near our tents, so we weren't stuck using the portable ones. The entrance didn't have a door, though, but a long wall that went kind of in an up-and-down motion. I suppose that it was done this way, so that they didn't have to put in doors, and this way the wall blocked the view so that no one could see anything from the outside. As I approached the building, I saw a guy standing nearby, and he seemed to be picking stuff up off the ground and putting it in a trash bag. I figured he probably worked for the park and was cleaning up, so I didn't pay him much mind. I wasted some time there, though, resting my head against the wall, splashing my face with water, doing anything that could buy me some time. As I finally started heading back, I saw that guy at the entrance, and he looked like he was staring down the hall that leads into the restrooms. He kind of smiled at me, saying hi, and then he asked if I was okay. Knowing how the rest of the adults had acted towards me, and how I was feeling, I said that my stomach was upset that I would be fine. He motioned at me to wait there, and I watched as he walked over towards a patch of grass and picked up certain leaves and returned. He told me to chew on these for a few minutes, and then spit them out. Being a kid, I of course looked at him funny. He had a slight laugh as he explained what it was, and to this day I still don't remember, but he explained that it helps with upset stomachs. I did as he said, and started chewing on them. He told me to head back to the group and to spit them out before I got there, and I should start feeling better. That's what I did. To my surprise, it actually seemed to work, too. I finished playing, and by the time we were having dinner, I was feeling much better. Unfortunately, the effect wouldn't last, and by the time I was going to bed, I was in pain and feeling sick again. I ended up cutting my free time short just so I could go lay down. I, apparently, managed to fall asleep as I woke up when it was pitch black and silent outside. The worst part was that I woke up because of the pain again. I was lying down, and it felt like my head was spinning. I was sweating, and I felt like I was going to get sick. Since there was no way I was going to be able to go home early, I decided to try to make my way to the restroom before I made a mess in my tent. I grabbed my little flashlights, and I tried to make my way to the restroom as quickly and quietly as I could. When I got close enough, I put my hand in the wall of the restroom to help steady myself as I walked around to the entrance, but I was startled when I saw a guy sitting on the bench right outside of the restrooms. I recognized him and his voice as he spoke, though, and I knew it was the guy that gave me the leaves. He asked me where I was going and all I said was that I didn't feel good, and then started walking into the room. He tried to make small conversation with me, but I ignored it and went in, fearing I was about to get sick. After sitting there on my knees and dry heaving, nothing else happened. I was just leaning on my arm at this point trying to gain my composure, 
and figure out what I was going to do next. When I heard the guy ask, Do you need help with anything? Now, at the time, I really hadn't realized this, but the guy sounded very clear. Like, he may have partially been inside the restroom. Like, in the hallway part. I thought it was a weird question to ask, though, but I just said no. I again splashed water on my face at the sink, and I finally walked out when I felt that I could walk again. Sure enough, the guy was still out there as if he was waiting for me. He asked me if I needed help getting back, and I didn't know how to answer other than saying that I just wanted to go home. Before I even realized it, he had one arm around my waist and was quietly almost whispering to me that he could take me home. I was around 13 at the time, and I was sick and not thinking straight, so I agreed at first. He started leading me away, but I was at least coherent enough to notice that he wasn't leading me back towards the camping area, but into even darker trees. Now, I was starting to get scared. I tried asking where we were going, and he said that he knew a shortcut through the trees. I started hesitating as I walked, saying that I didn't want to go that way, and I noticed that he grabbed my waist tighter, and his tone became more and more aggressive. He was saying, If you want to go home, you have to go this way. You don't have a choice. Now walk. And rightfully so, it began to terrify me even more. All of this again caused the dizziness to come back, as well as the nausea. I tried telling him that I was going to get sick, and he must have thought I was lying as he tried to pull me closer to possibly pick me up. This didn't go the way he anticipated, as when he attempted to pick me up, I threw up, in his direction. It did cause him to let go of me and shout a few choice words, and I quickly ran away. I didn't have my flashlight anymore, so I ran praying that I didn't step or trip on anything. I finally saw a light that was coming from the cabin, and I ran towards it. Once close enough to it, I ran to my tent, zipping it up and completely hiding in my sleeping bag. I didn't fall back asleep that night either. I didn't even get up when it was light out, and I heard others talking, in fear that it could have been the guy coming back. It wasn't until one of the counselors came over to my tent and started calling for me that I finally came out. I must have looked sick enough to them because they immediately had the nurse check me out and suggested that I go home, or to the hospital at least. While I was lying there in the cabin waiting for my parents to come get me, someone else was packing up my stuff. The nurse was in the room with me and she asked why I hadn't told anyone how I was feeling. I tried explaining that I had, but no one believed me, except for the guy with the leaves. But then I explained to them that he was really scary and mean about taking me home. That's when I became really terrified, because she looked at me confused asking what guy I was talking about. I began explaining to her more what the guy looked like and my encounters with him, She then walked out of the cabin and yelled for one of the counselors. Sure enough, 
the guy that I saw was definitely not part of the church staff. Someone else had mentioned seeing him, but it was a public park, so they assumed he was just another visitor, or possibly someone that worked there. They reported it to the police, and they went out looking for him, but he was never found as far as I know. They cut the whole trip a day short. I remember this because my parents tried to get a refund for the days that I wasn't there, and the day my sister came back early, too. Never mind the fact that it ended early to keep your kids safe, though, right? So, there's some strange guy out at a park in Texas that feeds leaves to kids, and then tries to kidnap them. Oh, yeah, also, my parents took me to the hospital, and it turned out that I had food poisoning. I still don't like camping, either. Way back when I was a kid, between the ages of six all the way to the time I was twelve, I lived with my grandparents at their house in the suburbs of Missouri. This house was more or less ancient. I have no idea when it was built, but thinking back on it now, the structures were definitely dated, and the overall setup for the house was definitely old-fashioned. For those six years... It was myself, my mother, and then my younger brother that all lived there, with him coming into the picture a year or so before we moved out into our own place. My father was an incredibly drunk and abusive man, and we ended up having to move into my grandparents' house after he attacked my mother, and I tried to intervene. Like I said, I was six, so there was no way I was going to be able to stop him, or even slow him down. But he decided that he needed to treat me like a threat and defend himself. Thankfully, that was the end of it for my mom, and she took the proper legal actions to get him out of our life, and we got out of that house. Of course, living with my grandparents, it wasn't really ideal. Their house wasn't huge by any definition of the word, and my mom was sleeping in an unfinished basement while they set up my bed in what they called the guest room. I'm not sure what guest would have wanted to stay in the room, because it had just enough space for my child-sized bed, a single dresser, and my tiny toy chest, and that was about it. But it was where I called home for a significant portion of my childhood, and I'm thankful that we had a place to sleep at night. Though, that's where things kind of got sketchy. Sleeping, that is. When we first moved into the house, I had a lot of trouble sleeping in my room. It was a long time ago, so a lot of what happened in the beginning were things that I was told by my mother. She told me that, for the first couple of months of us living there, I would sleepwalk. The first time it happened, I had seemingly just gotten up out of bed left the guest room and walked down to her bedroom, and just stood there in the doorway staring at her. She said that when she asked me if I was okay, I just stared and said that I needed to make sure nothing happened to her. Now, this was right after we had moved in, so not long after the event with my father took place, 
and she assumed it was just some kind of traumatic response to the event. She let me sleep in her bed with her. Then, the next time that it happened, she told me that she actually found me outside of the house, in the backyard, just staring out into the yard. I wasn't saying anything. I didn't seem scared or angry. I was literally just standing there and staring out into the night. And, once again, when she came out and asked what I was doing, I just said that I was watching. I wouldn't say what I was watching, though. After this, my grandparents installed a lock on the exterior door that was too high for me to reach, so I never went back outside. But I did sleepwalk a few more times after this. It was more of the same, just me saying that I was checking in on my mom, watching, staring out the window. Weird stuff for sure, but it wasn't where it all ended. This is actually where my memory comes into play, because I remember all of what happened after this very vividly. I would randomly start having these horrifying nightmares about various things but they would always involve my dad. In these nightmares, it was always me at my dad's house. I would be sitting there and my father would walk into the room with an angry look on his face, but something about him didn't seem right. He was angry, but he almost looked devilishly angry. Like, he almost looked demonic. Much like I was doing when I was sleepwalking, in the dreams, he would just stand in the far corner of the room watching me. And when I asked him what he was doing, he would tell me that he was waiting. These nightmares were mostly uneventful beyond this, but something about them always launched me into waking up screaming. My mom would have to run into my room and comfort me for what seemed like forever to get me back to sleep. And when she would ask me what was wrong, I would always tell her that daddy was watching me. These weird dreams apparently went on for almost a year, when things started escalating in both my life and in my nightmares. Around this time, my father decided that he was tired of playing my mother's games, and he was trying to force himself back into our lives. He kept playing the I-want-to-see-my-son card because my mother hadn't gone through any legal custody claim, and it was really difficult for her to tell him no. I hated being around him when I was that age, because every single time I would see him, I would just start to feel this horrible fear that something was happening. Being seven, I didn't know what existential dread felt like, But it was kind of like that. Like this horrible feeling that the situation I was in was bad and was only getting worse the longer that I was in it. During this time, the dreams with my father grew darker. He would always be staring at me, telling me that he just wanted to be closer to me in them. Thinking back, this is when I realized it wasn't my father in my dreams, but some kind of entity or demon that was watching me in the form of my father. At this point, I never wanted to sleep, and being a young kid, not sleeping really isn't easy. My mother would try to talk to me as best she could about the whole thing, 
she would try to help me understand that they were just dreams and that they would eventually pass. I tried to tell her that they weren't just dreams, that this thing was trying to hurt me, but she didn't want to entertain the thought. Around my eighth birthday was when everything came to a head. My father was more pushy about seeing me, and once a week had become several times a week. He would come into the house and would try to get my mom alone in her room, and I don't want to get into what I think happened when that happened. But then he would also come sit in my room and just sit there on the bed while I sat on my toy chest. These were the worst times, because he would not say anything. He would just stare at me and go through what looked like an entire cycle of emotions. He would look like he was mad at me. He would start crying, laughing, and it was terrifying. The last time he came over, we went through the same cycle as always. He came in and just sat there. But I was at a point where I'd had enough of this and asked him why he never wanted to talk to me. He told me to hush because he was thinking. Of course, I was eight, and I was starting to be the snappy preteen that kids so often become, and I basically said that it was creepy how he just stared at me. Then, he hit me. He smacked me across the face hard enough to leave my cheek red, and then grabbed me by the shoulders and told me that I needed to never speak to him again like that. I remember that feeling, the pain on my face, the anger on his face while he shook me and said that. I remember that horrible fear as I held back from crying, and he just stared at me in the eyes. I just said I was sorry, and I didn't know what else to say or do. I remember then seeing his eyes as he stared at me, something felt different. He felt like he used to in my dreams, like a monster. For that split second, I was more terrified than I had ever been. And then he seemed like himself again. He let go of me and he started to leave, and that was one of the few times that he told me that he loved me. Then he was gone. Two things happened that night. The first one I'll mention is the dream that I had. It was similar to the other dreams that I would have about my father, except this time, he wasn't just standing there and staring at me. He was sitting on the floor. The house wasn't our house as I remembered it. It was trashed and dark. I just remember that he was sitting there on the floor holding his knees and crying. I asked him what happened, why he was so upset, and the words that I got in return have always haunted me. I let it win. For some reason, I knew what it was that he was talking about. It was that demon that had been haunting me ever since we moved out of the house. The demon that was haunting him. I don't know why, but in the dream I felt compelled to forgive him. So I did. I told him that it was okay. That I knew that it wasn't his fault. That was pretty much the end of the dream. Nothing else really happened past that, but then the morning came, and when I got up, I found my mom crying at the kitchen table. 
as I came to find out, my father had passed away that night. And as was explained to me much later in life, he had actually ended his own life. He didn't leave a note or tell anyone what was going on. He just went through with his plan and his neighbors called the cops because they heard it. At the age that I was, I knew what death was, but I wasn't at the point where it really hit me that he was gone until a bit later. That night was actually the last time that I had one of those dreams with him in it. I never had another nightmare about him watching me, or even one like I did that night. Now, I don't know if this was demonic possession, and I'm not trying to make an excuse or rationalize what he did, but part of me feels like my father's aggression wasn't always his. He was not a good man. He drank a lot, and like I said, he attacked both me and my mother, but part of me feels like something else was controlling him. The fact that he had hit me that day and his whole demeanor changed, followed by the weird dream with him telling me that it won, it just makes me feel like there was more to this. Regardless, I do hope that my father is able to rest. And while he may have ruined part of my childhood, and part of me will always pull those bad memories to the front, the other part of me does want him to know that I do forgive him. I have a weird situation that I wanted to tell about my life from when I was younger. I'm female, currently 33 years old, and I have a brother that is two years older than me. When we were children, I always felt like my brother hated me with a passion. Like, for some reason, he was hell-bent on ruining my life and making me feel like a terrible person. However, the more I've been reading stories about demons and possessive entities that attach to not just people, but bloodlines... I'm starting to wonder if everything he did was by his own doing, or if something out there was guiding his hand. For the story, we're just going to call my brother Kay. Growing up, Kay was horribly aggressive and abusive towards me, but he wasn't always like that. For the first few years of my life that I can remember, Kay was actually the most loving brother that ever existed. My mother had photos and videos of him holding me as a baby, of him telling her how beautiful I was, and the video that I hold closest to my heart is one from the day that I was born. Mom was still in the hospital after giving birth to me, and my dad had brought Kay into the room a while after everything was settled, and he looked at me, and then to the camera that my dad was holding and said, "'That's my little sister?' My dad said that I was, and he just smiled, turned to me, and said, Oh my gosh, I love her. It's the cutest thing in the world to me, and it honestly makes it even more painful when I think about how things went later on. I have to add a bit more context to my family, so do bear with me. First off, my grandfather and who he was. From what I've been told, 
My grandfather was a very hard-working man that did everything for his family, and he was part of the generation that worked hard manual labor day in and day out for 50 years straight. When he retired from work, he seemed to have lost all sense of purpose, and then became an aggressive and violent man. Not just to my grandmother, but also to my mother. It was like losing his job caused a switch to just flip, and he turned into a horrible man overnight. He, however, loved my little brother more than anything. Every time he saw him, he would light up and nothing else in the world would exist for those few moments. Now, when I was born, he had the opposite reaction to me. He never wanted me around. If I was there, he would yell at my mother to shut me up or leave me outside. Yeah, he literally told her to leave a newborn child outside if she came over. Well, about three years into my life, my grandfather died. There was a small funeral, us kids weren't there, but my mom told me that my grandmother seemed like she wasn't even hurt that her husband of 55 years had died. In fact, she seemed happy, and she actually smiled after the whole thing was over. This, however, was where things started for me. My brother didn't really understand that my grandfather had died. My mom talked to him about it, telling him about life and death, but he was five, so it wasn't really a concept that he could grasp. Basically, it was just a situation of, he's gone, we're sad, but life goes on. That was when things started to change with Kay. After my grandfather passed, he started to become an aggressive and violent child. He would scream at my mother any time she tried to talk to him. He would destroy things if he could get his hands on them. And his attitude towards me did a full 180. The first instance was when I was still three. My mother said that she heard me doing my best to have a conversation with him while we were in our room. He was laughing and talking to me as well. Then she said that he went quiet and I kept saying his name in a way that was like I was asking for him, and then about five or ten minutes later, I started screaming. She ran into the room and saw what had happened. Kay was sitting on my bed with me, my hands were covered in blood, and there was a very large, very sharp knife sitting in front of me. My mom was obviously panicked and screamed for my dad, who came in and grabbed Kay while my mom helped me. I had a cut across both my hands, and I was bleeding pretty bad for a small kid. My dad asked Kay what happened and how I got the knife, and he said that Kay told him that he got the knife for me. He said that I needed it, that I needed to bleed. He then said that Grandpa told him to give me the knife to play with because it was what I deserved. This obviously freaked my dad out. And after this, we weren't allowed to play in my room unsupervised anymore. A few months after this, in the middle of the night, my mom said that she heard me screaming and crying, and she got up to check on me when she saw Kay standing over me holding a stuffed animal over my face and saying something like, 
It's okay. It won't hurt. Over and over. Once again, my dad tried to figure out what was going on with him, and he just told him that Grandpa wanted me to stop breathing because I was being too loud. Things like this happened a few times when I was young, but as the two of us got older, he stopped physically hurting me and started emotionally lashing out at me. I remember very vividly on my 12th birthday, making K-14 at the time, he had actually walked into the room where my friends were with my dad's handgun. He then placed it on the table in front of us, he said it directly in front of me, and then looked me straight in the face and said, You should end your life. No one here likes you, and no one here wants you around. You're nothing but a burden on everyone here, and we would all be very much better off without you. I can't even begin to explain the emotional pain that that situation caused. Not only had he hurt me personally, but to do this in front of my few friends and on my birthday. Agony is the only word that comes close to how I felt. When my dad came back in with the cake and saw the look on my face, his face, and then noticed the shock on the other girls' faces, and then finally saw the gun... He went off on Kay. He placed the cake down, grabbed the gun, and I remember him screaming at Kay about the situation. He asked him how he got the gun from the safe, and Kay just said that Grandpa told him the combination because he wanted him to give me the gun. I remember my dad yelling nonstop in the other room while I just stared at my cake and cried. My mom did her best to try and steer us back on track, but the party was effectively ruined, and my friends were pretty freaked out. Rightfully so. There were a few more things that happened between Kay and I, a few events where he hit me and he did everything he could to make me feel pain, mentally, physically, emotionally. He made my life hell for so many years, and I'll never forgive him for all that he did to me. But part of me does kind of think that it wasn't all him. That there was something else that pushed him to do this. And that's based on what occurred a bit later. The last time that I saw Kay was when I was 17. And while I don't want anything to do with him, that actually wasn't by my choice. He was 19 and still living at the house but he had managed to get a job and save up money to get a car. Then, he packed up his stuff, and he left. As in, he packed his clothes, got in his car, and no one has seen him since then. Like I said, I'm 33 now, so you can do the math on when that was, but it has been a very long time. And my guess is that he's either no longer alive or living under a different name or whatever. The reason I feel like he may not have been in control the entire time was because of the note that he left behind. He actually wrote that he was sorry for hurting me. I actually still have the note somewhere, but a good summary of it was that he loved me, and that he never wanted to cause me pain, but he always felt like he had to. He mentioned in it that something in him wanted me to hurt, but that the other part of him wanted to protect me, 
and he never seemed to win when the two sides would clash. It hurts me to think that there was a part of him that did love me, that wanted what was best for me, but then the other part felt compelled to cause me so much harm. I also hate to think that he was being controlled by a demon, or my grandfather, or something, and that because of that evil entity, I never had the life with my brother that I should have. I will never forgive him for all that he did. It really affected me well into my adult life, but I feel like I understand it a little bit more. If he's still out there, I hope he got away from whatever evil thing had its grip over him. And I want him to know that I do have a happy life. And if the trauma he caused me ever weighs heavy on him, he can be sure that I'm no longer held back by the agony that he caused me throughout my childhood. This happened when I took a solo trip to the Bahamas several years ago. I was in my 20s, and I wanted to take a vacation for myself. I only told my parents and a girlfriend of mine where I was going, and how long that I would be gone, and that was about it. When I got to the airport, there was a storm along the route that my plane would be taking, so it was going to be delayed by a few hours. It wasn't a big deal, so I got all checked in and sat in the waiting area reading a book that I had brought along. It was about an hour into my delay, when I noticed a guy that seemed to be pacing or walking in a circle around the seats. I remember him because he was wearing jeans and a black suit jacket that was buttoned up. I always thought that that was a tacky combination. He also had a Bluetooth earpiece in in what looked like a PDA, or maybe an old Blackberry phone. He wasn't really giving off weird vibes at that point, though. He was more so just an annoyance as he paced around me and others. People that are in a rush in an airport always irk me. Time is out of our control. Between the giant metal things in the sky being on specific schedules... And not to mention that the weather, which is also out of everyone's control. It's best to just sit and go with the flow at that point. Honestly, I was expecting him to start complaining to the staff. Instead, however, he finally sat down in a seat across from me and appeared to be talking to someone through his earpiece. The conversation seemed to be pretty one-sided, as he only said a few words here and there what little he did say, it did become a bit suspicious. His conversation consisted of words like, yes, no, possibly, uh, match, female, about 5'6", Auburn, alone, proceed, confirmed. That is about when I noticed that he was describing myself. I thought, what the hell? I didn't know this guy, and I really didn't feel like he was with the airport based on his attire and demeanor. It's not like I was doing anything suspicious anyways. I'd been sitting here with my book the entire time. I didn't even have my MP3 player or cell phone as they were in my carry-on. So, the only thing I could actually think to do, without actually doing anything, 
was to look up at him and make clear eye contact so he knew that I noticed. I thought that it did something, because when we locked eyes, he got up and walked away, and I thought nothing else of it. It was finally time to board, so I got in line and got in my spot. It was a little past the middle of the plane and the edge seat. I was sitting next to an older lady and her granddaughter that was probably around ten, so I figured that they wouldn't be a nuisance for the flight. Then, I saw Suit Jacket get on the same plane. I saw him walk in, look back into the plane, and then he finally started walking back when he saw me again. As he passed by, his eyes did not move from my direction. Yet, as everyone boarded the plane, I was getting that feeling of being watched again. So, I turned around, and sure enough, he was in an edge seat, leaning over just enough to look at me. I turned back around, hoping to ignore it, thinking he was just trying to be a creep to mess with me. However, it didn't stop, as after we took off, he walked toward the front of the plane, making sure to drop something in my book that I was reading. It was a folded-up napkin with scribbling on it that said, Do not leave the plane upon landing. We need to speak with you. This kind of alarmed me again. I didn't know who this guy was, or who this we that he was referring to was as well. I couldn't think of anything odd that I did that would have alerted security or anything like that, but yet, I also didn't believe that this guy could have been with the airport. Not to mention, he got up when the seatbelt light was still on, and he was told to go back to his seat by the stewardess. To not listen to simple rules like that, it didn't seem like something someone would do if they worked there. And as he walked back, he looked at me again, but this time there was a slight grin on his face, and he winked at me. I don't know if that was supposed to make me feel better about the situation, but regardless, there was no way in hell I was going to do anything that this guy wanted. So, once the plane landed, I made sure to be one of the first people off that thing. We started unloading, and I cut off the row on the other side to get out quicker and to put more people between us. He definitely noticed, as I heard him shout something, but there was no way he could push past the people in front of him. As I exited the plane, I looked around for the luggage area, and as I did, I saw another guy there in a full black suit walking right towards me, making eye contact. This is when I started to become a little more alarmed, and I picked up the pace to find some way to lose him. I shuffled through people and finally found the restrooms, and I hid in there. I just stood in one of the stalls for a while, and then went out and sat on the bench that was in there. I was probably in there for about 15 minutes or so, hoping that they would move on, but I was too afraid to stick my head out to see, so... I asked someone who had come in there if she saw anyone matching their description. She confirmed that they were nowhere around, and she even checked as she left and came back to tell me. I must have looked scared as she offered to walk with me to get my luggage, and I accepted, not really knowing what else to do anyways. 
I still had another flight to catch in less than an hour, so I had to move on. Unfortunately, when we got to the carousel, my luggage was nowhere to be found. I asked some people working there if they saw it, and of course they didn't. So I had to file a missing luggage claim, and all I could think was, was it those guys? Did they take it as a ransom and a way to go with them? And if so, how did they know it was mine? And that's where I started to become a bit more worried, as I had all of my clothes and toiletries in it. I would have nothing once I arrived to my hotel. I was running out of time though, so I had to either get on my next flight or miss it and dish out more money. I made the decision to go since they had my contact information in case they did find it, but I wasn't going to hold my breath. Thankfully, I guess, the suit jacket guys were not on this flight. After we took off, I was lost in thought when a stewardess came by and asked if I wanted anything, and she also asked me to confirm my name. I did so, and she said she would be right back. I didn't say that I wanted anything, so I was confused by her statement. However, when she came back, she asked me to stay behind when they landed. Now I was feeling like something was wrong, and that she wasn't actually part of the staff. The whole time she was smiling and being inviting, so I was really getting mixed feelings about it. I did stay as I was asked, thinking, how could this get worse, right? To my surprise, she gave me a description of my suitcase to a T and asked if it was mine. I confirmed it was, and then she asked me if I came here with anyone else, or if I knew the guy from my first flight, and again... I confirmed that I did not, and I started explaining briefly what I had witnessed. I couldn't believe it. The whole time she was kind and seemed to believe everything. She led me out to someone else who was standing with my luggage, and they had asked me a few more questions. I also got some answers too. They said the guy definitely seemed suspicious on the first flight, and the stewardess told the pilots and they reported it. They saw him hovering around another girl, so they stopped him to have him questioned. He was found with my luggage, and they assumed that it didn't belong to him, as it was pink and had a pretty floral design on it. Not to mention the name tag didn't match his ID. They confiscated the luggage and matched it to my missing claim and put it together. The guy didn't have a ticket for another flight, so he was escorted out due to his activity but they never found the second person. They asked me again if I had any idea who they were, and I told them that I had no clue. I explained my holiday plans, and I gave them the note that he gave me, as I stuffed it in my pocket, but that was it. Thankfully, they must have believed me as they let me leave with my stuff, but I did have to file a report with them so it was on record since it was some kind of suspicious event. To this day, I still have no idea what they wanted, but it at least made me feel a little better knowing that I wasn't specifically targeted. I feel bad that they started doing this to another girl, but it seems that that helped catch them. I still do fly solo, 
But if I see even the slightest thing that seems off, you can bet I'm saying something so that it doesn't escalate. This is my first time ever really putting this story out into the world, but I figured it was a good idea to share my experience. I went through all of this, and it was a pretty intense time in my life, so maybe it's best to just get it off my chest at some point, and now seems as good a time as any. When I was young, my mother was pretty heavy into the occult and claimed herself to be a practicing witch. Whether or not that's related is completely up to you on whether or not you think that stuff is real, or has any effect on people around those that are practicing. But because of that, us kids were always hyper-aware of the supernatural side of things. We were aware of ghosts, hauntings, demons, and all that, and I've always had a pretty strong belief in the paranormal. And I'm pretty sure we had a haunted house back then, but that's not really here nor there. A little context on who I was at the time. I'm female, and when this all happened, I believe I was just turning 16. Because of my mother's obsession with dark things, I do not scare easily. Mostly because she always had a word to say about anything scary or strange. I have a pretty solid foundation. And there's very little that'll make me jump, flinch, cringe, or be otherwise afraid. My sister, on the other hand, seemed to have been the opposite growing up, in that you could make her jump and scream by just going, ah, really loudly at her, even if she knew you were there the entire time. Growing up, the house we lived in was only a two-bedroom, so it was always a struggle with my younger sister about the room. I was 16, she was 14, and it was a pain to have to sleep there with her in the room because she had no respect for privacy at all. I hit a point where I was pretty tired of being in the same room as her, so I asked my parents if we could figure something out for me moving out of the room. They had told me that they were not willing to get in the middle of it, and that we needed to sort it out for ourselves. My idea for sorting it out I would just move my bed out of the bedroom and down into what was basically an entry landing for the basement. It wasn't really large enough to be a room, and it was just there as a place to store things outside of the laundry room, but to me it was the best option. At least, that's what I thought. It didn't take long for me to really understand how bad of an idea it was to set up my bed in the basement. About two nights into this new agreement... My sister and I were up late watching some dumb TV show on Netflix, and I decided that I needed to head to bed. I said goodnight and headed down onto the landing to get dressed, and shut off the light before lying down to go to sleep. No more than a few minutes after lying down, I heard a voice say, What are you doing? in a deep, whispering tone. I opened my eyes and looked over to my doorway, thinking my sister had come down, and I started to say, I'm going to sleep, when I noticed that no one was there. I shook it off after a moment, thinking I was just losing my mind, when I heard it again. But this time, it said, You're not welcome here. 
at this point in time, my guess was that it was just a spirit trying to mess with me. Since my mom was into the witchy stuff and all of her occult stuff was in the room next to me, the laundry room. I just assumed it was some spirit that had been attached to something that she owned, or was brought forward by something that she did, and they were messing with me. Continuing to think that it was just a spirit, I told them that this was my house, and that it was welcome to stay, but that I had power over it as this was my domain. I don't know why I felt the need to tell it that I had the power, I just remember that being something I needed to do. I kind of sat up and waited to see if this thing was going to cause me any more problems, when I noticed what looked like a hand coming out from underneath the laundry room door. When I say a hand, it seriously looked like a person's hand, but it was pitch black, and it was reaching out toward me from under the door. I stood up and opened the door to see what the hell this thing was, but when I did, there was nothing there. Obviously, I wasn't feeling too good about any of this, but I again just thought I was dealing with the basic spirit or ghost, and I was pretty tired. I told it that I wasn't scared of it, and that I was going to sleep, and then I lied back down and pulled the blanket over me. This is when it got genuinely terrifying. I felt the blanket shift slightly, and as soon as I leaned up to look, I felt a hand grab my ankle and pull me toward the laundry room. And when I say that it pulled, it absolutely felt like an adult grabbing my leg and trying to yank me away from my bed and into another room. I freaked out and ran over to the stairs and just stared at my bed thinking, what the hell was that? I gave up and decided that I would just sleep on the couch and then move my stuff back into the bedroom in the morning. The next morning, when I woke up, I thought maybe I was just dreaming it, or that it was just my brain being stupid, but then I looked down at my ankle. My right ankle, the one that was grabbed the previous night, had a massive bruise on it, about the size of a very large hand. The bruise wrapped around my entire ankle, and it kind of looked like the sort of bruise you would get if you were grabbed too hard or held down by someone. And this solidified that, whatever this was, was likely not a good spirit, and was probably demonic. I told my mother about it. I showed her the bruise, and she said that she would cleanse the basement. She did her cleansing and said that it was all good, but I didn't go back down there to sleep. I immediately moved everything back into my sister's room, and just told her that she was going to have to deal with it. After that event, I never went back into the laundry room, or even really down those stairs, because every time I would hit the top step, I would feel like something was down there and waiting for me. This was honestly the most terrifying night of my life, and was probably my most solid experience with the paranormal. I'm just thankful that whatever this thing was, it wasn't able to latch on to me and follow me out of the basement, because I don't know what the hell I would have done. Back when I was in my early 20s, 
my best buddy, Lawrence, and I used to do a lot of urban exploration in places that were completely abandoned, run down, or just really, really old. Most of the places we went were just a shell of what they once were, but it was really fun to just check the buildings out and see what we could find, and what kind of tags were left behind. I know it sounds weird, but I've always had a bit of a thing for architectural photography, which included the buildings that were basically nothing more than a pile of detritus, and I was always willing to check out new spots and see what kind of pics I could get. The event that happened took place in, I believe, the summer of 2007. Lawrence and I had a few places that we wanted to check out that he had done some research on, and gotten info through other urbex enthusiasts. They were across a couple states, so we decided that we would split them up over a couple of months when we could get the time off work to go out to them. None of them were more than a few hours away, but, you know, adult life and all that. The first one we went to was a bit creepy, but didn't have much to report other than being really run down. It is the second one that actually had the most going for it. For the sake of not giving away the exact location, I'm just going to make up a name for the place and call it Sunny Days Youth Camp. Now, Sunny Days Youth Camp was a religious summer camp type of place that was, at one time, pretty big. As the years had gone by, They had been wrapped up in a number of scandals, and things that really shouldn't have been happening at a youth camp, especially a religious one, including one of their youth pastors walking out into the woods on a random day of the camp, and deciding to end his life in a very gruesome manner. After that happened and became a pretty big deal locally, the people at the top decided that there wasn't much they could do to save face. So, they locked the doors and basically abandoned the camp. And that's the backstory of the place. It was pretty messed up, and it had been empty for quite a while. And, as such, Lawrence and I had added it to be the second stop on our list that summer. When we got to the area, it looked pretty well abandoned. It was actually pretty hard to find, as it was overgrown and barely marked. However, Most of the front gate was still there, so you could tell that something was there at one time. Based on this information that we had, this was where Sunny Days was supposed to be, so we just went for it. We had to park at the gate because of the growth, but it wasn't too far of a walk to the actual building. The main building that was in the center was marked as the Counselor's Lodge, and it was pretty boring. It was mostly just an empty husk of what it once was. Fake log cabin-looking walls covered in old, faded posters, citing certain Bible verses, and of course, the code of conduct. There wasn't much there. The second building we went to was one of the lodges for the kids, and that's where I started to feel uneasy. The room felt incredibly heavy, like the air was almost hard to breathe, and it was almost cold. This was in the middle of the summer, sitting at a comfortable 85 degrees outside, but this building felt a lot colder, like it was in the 50s or so. 
we walked around a bit, but within a short amount of time, I started feeling like I wanted to pass out. If you've ever passed out, you know that weird tunnel vision-like feeling you get, and how you struggle to focus on one thing at a time while your hearing goes... hollow? Yeah, it was that. I told Lawrence that I needed to take a moment, and he came over to help me sit down, asking what was wrong. I told him that I felt faint, like I was going to pass out. He asked if it was just anxiety, and I told him that I didn't know. I was feeling fine until we got in here. He told me to go ahead and sit there until I got better, and I asked him to take my camera to get some shots for me. He agreed, and I sat there and he kept walking on into the building, taking photo after photo. I honestly thought that I had sat there for almost half an hour. It felt like he was taking forever, but then he came back and told me that he had only been gone for about three minutes. I knew then that I wasn't doing well, because that three minutes felt like ages. What was worse, the second we stepped out of that building, I was feeling better. Like, the literal first step out of the building onto the dirt, I was feeling back to 100%. I asked him for my camera, so I could see the pictures that he took, and he handed it back. I remember scrolling through the shots... And I got to one that he took of me, sitting on the bed in the front corner, and it was the creepiest thing. I looked pale and sickly, which made sense, but in the picture, you could see what looked like the outline of a man standing right behind me, with his hand on my shoulder. He was completely black with no real features, but it was pretty clear that this was a humanoid shape that was touching me. I wish I still had these pictures, honestly, because they were terrifying, but this was 15 years ago and that camera's long gone, as well as my computer. But I digress. We looked over the shots and that was the only one that we saw anything weird in that building. We decided that we would check out the last building really quick and then call it a day. The last building was the quote-unquote activity center, and it was a bit away from the other two. Like, maybe a couple hundred feet. As we got close, once again, I started feeling like there was something severely wrong with this place. It just felt like it had this grossly negative presence that resided within it. Like something was there that had the most ill intentions possible. I mentioned to Lawrence that this building felt off too, and he said I could stay outside while he got the shots if I wanted. I thought about it, but... I said that I would go in with him and just leave if it got to be too much. Well, as it is, neither of us actually went into the building. We opened the door, and we were hit with a blast of freezing air, and then the smell of sulfur. We both just stood by the entryway staring in, and I could tell that we were both debating and waiting for the other to go inside, or say something, but for several seconds, neither of us did. I just aimed my camera and took a picture really quick. I swear, as soon as I hit the button and the flash went off, we both heard what sounded like a deep, guttural hissing sound. As soon as that happened, we noped out of there. We shut the door, and we decided that we were going to call it right then and there. 
I don't want to stretch the story too much longer than it has been, mostly because that's the core of what happened. But there was a bit more that actually took place afterwards. A few days after we got back home from the trip, Lawrence actually got really sick with flu-like symptoms, but worse than any flu that I've ever had. He had a really bad fever. He said he was in immense pain the entire time, and he couldn't keep down food or water. He said that while he struggled to sleep every time he would doze off, he kept having these weird dreams where he was being slaughtered, and they all took place at sunny days. It was like he was dreaming that he was in the activity building, and something there was attacking him, tearing his skin, cutting him, and he said that every single dream ended in him bleeding out and dying. I will say that this could have been coincidental, but I have heard of demons having residual effects on people that encounter them, and I have to say that I'm pretty certain that place was inhabited by some kind of demon. Lawrence did get better after a week or so, and thankfully the nightmare stopped as well. That said, we never went back to that place, nor have we told anyone where it is. I don't even know if the buildings are still there, but if they are, I hope that no one ever finds them. That place had a really bad history, and there are certainly some negative, and I would say demonic, energies that have attached to it. I'm glad that we got out mostly unscathed, but I'm also terrified about what could have happened if he had actually gone into that last building. Part of me is fairly certain that, had we gone in, that thing would have attached onto one of us. And that scares the hell out of me. I'm just going to start by saying, Arkansas is weird. Since I'm single with very little family ties left, I often like to just hop in my hatchback and hit the road in a random direction, at least until I run out of money or things to do. I live in Tennessee, a little south of Nashville, so I had been to the southern states, Georgia and Alabama mostly, plenty of times, and even a little of Mississippi, but I had never been to Arkansas. It was late July, and I'd had a rough week at work, as I'd been doing a lot of mandatory overtime, so I wanted to get away for a while. So, that's where I planned to go next, making this my own little summer vacation. I packed a small bag, usually just clothing and a few essentials, and all the necessities for my best friend, Bear, to tag along with me. Bear was my eight-year-old Rottweiler. I actually got him right before I met my now ex-wife, so he's been through a lot with me. That also means that there's no chance in hell that I would leave him behind, so he was definitely going to be seeing the roads with me. As mentioned, we headed west to see how far we can go into Arkansas before we decided to turn back. We stopped in a couple of small cities in Tennessee along the way, had some of the best tacos from a food truck, and met some pretty cool people. But then, once we got into Arkansas, I came across the strangest and creepiest town I had ever 
been to. I was going to need to stop and get gas soon, going by the signs on the highway, if I didn't take the next exit that only had one gas station on it. There wasn't going to be another exit for a while, and my tank wasn't going to make it that far, so I decided to stop. Since this was a new state and I wanted to look around for a bit, I decided to change things up a bit and find a place to stay. Usually, I just slept in my car, bringing a pillow and a blanket if needed, which saved me money on hotel rooms too. Sometimes I might get a room for the night if I need a shower or if I wanted to sleep in a bed though. I was not going to have luck finding a place in this little town. Entering it, my initial thought was this was going to be a ghost town. The now entering sign that you typically saw when you entered cities just said, Welcome, and spelled out in painted bricks, but there was no town name. It looked pretty empty at first, too. But then, I started seeing other indicators to let me know that someone was definitely around. There were carcasses all around. On the side of the road, at the end of driveways, like they were intentionally set out for the trash. My dad was a hunter, and I often helped him clean and prep his catches, so... I was familiar with some of them. I could tell that some of the animals appeared to be deers, cows, and even smaller animals like goats, maybe. But others were harder to make out. As mentioned, these were almost complete bodies, sitting out, decaying. If they weren't killed for food, then why were they killed? And why were there just so many of them lying around? One thing they all had in common, though, was that they had all been skinned. Not a single one was left as a whole, and the smell was horrendous. I've never experienced a whole town that smelled of decay and rot. I usually enjoyed the summer air, but I had to roll up the windows because the smell was enough to make me gag, and I could tell it was making Bear curious as well. He was pretty well trained, but... I didn't want to take the risk of him trying to jump out of the window to get at one of those bodies. Thankfully, I think, I did start seeing some other life. I drove by an old farmhouse that had clothes hanging out front on a line, and there was an older lady sitting by it washing clothes with a bucket and an old washboard. When she saw my car, she stopped in her place and just stared at me for a minute but then quickly got up and ran inside the house. It was like she was afraid of me, or maybe I looked suspicious. Who knows. I kept driving. I went around this curve and the road forked into two directions. There was a sign like you would see on the highway leaning against a tree pointing to the left for a motel, and the road on the right was inaccessible. It was blocked by more dead animals, but... They seemed to be stacked in a way to purposely block that road. I was a full-grown man in his 40s, and that was downright unsettling to me. My problem was that I needed to get gas. I didn't want to stay here, but I was hoping that there was a gas station, since the exit sign claimed that there was at least, so I went towards the hotel. 
I pulled up to what they claimed to be the hotel. However, it just looked like another old farmhouse. Driving around the back, though, there was a single gas pump that looked just as old. You had to lift the handle, and the price in gallons were those spinning numbers. They weren't digital. There also wasn't a way for it to take a card or cash at the pump, so I would have to go inside. As I approached the house or hotel, I could see a guy through the window. I kid you not, it was some scrawny old man, mostly skin and bones, wearing no shirt and overalls. He was holding up a shotgun to his chest, thankfully not pointing it at me, yet. The look on his face was similar to the old lady's, one of confusion and fear. I paused before I opened the door, and as I reached for it, that's when he lifted the gun. I let go of the door and I slowly backed away from it. I swear, I felt like I was in some crazy, the hills have eyes movie crap. Old looking town, dead things everywhere, and just as crazy looking people. I felt like if I didn't leave soon, I wouldn't be leaving at all. So, I got back in my car burned out of there and I left the same way that I came in, praying that I would make it to the next stop on the gas I had left. I barely made it. I got to the next exit and down a road when my car died. I had to push it a bit before someone normal stopped and offered help. When I finally got fueled up, I found myself a nice hotel to stay in for the night that also allowed pets and I went and got us some dinner from a local mom-and-pop place across the street from it, as people normally do. They asked me where I was from and what brought me to Arkansas, and I explained my story to them. The server then suggested a place for me to visit, which brought up the creepy old town that I had seen. She seemed thoroughly surprised and confused, saying that she had never heard of such a place. I believe this town was probably about an hour or so away from the old town I saw, but she explained how she had been in that direction plenty of times but never seen anything like that. She even asked someone else that worked there about it. From what I learned, I had to be close to the city when, yet that's not where that place was. She pulled out a map and everything, as she was interested in showing me where we were, the highway I took and the exits along it, yet that place seemingly did not exist on paper. I thought maybe I was just lucky enough to take the right roads and found that little place, but of course, knowing all this got me curious, and even risking my life, I decided that I wanted to try to find it again, so I bought a little disposable camera to take pictures of it as proof. Once I was done in the area, I left and headed back on that same highway, and I took the same exit. I knew I was coming from the opposite direction, so I knew to get there, it would be on the opposite side. But there was no way to go that way. I went the opposite direction and saw a small gas station like the sign showed, and the rest seemed to be a normal-looking farmland. But when I went back to go the other way... The road just ended with the road close sign at the end of it, and then a field of overgrown grass and weeds. How the hell was any of that possible? 
I even took a few exits after that one to see if I was mistaken, but I never found that place again. When I returned home, I told my friends about it and even tried looking it up on maps, and I found nothing like it. I don't know what I witnessed that day, but I'm just thankful to have gotten out alive to tell someone else about it. I'm afraid to go back to Arkansas now. If any of you visit or have visited, and you found a similar city to this around Wynn, please do let me know, so I don't feel like I'm going crazy. Hey there, friends. That was today's episode of the As the Raven Dreams podcast, and I really hope that you all enjoyed this collection of scary stories. If you did, please do consider checking out my YouTube channel, where I do these same stories, but a little bit earlier than I do them here on the podcast form, and also in slightly different collections. If you really enjoy the podcast, please do consider giving it a rating of any sort if the platform you're listening on has ratings. Any honest rating is appreciated by me, be it 5-star, 1-star, however you want to do it. Just know that rating the podcast helps tremendously. And, if you would like to support further, I do have a Patreon and channel memberships if you'd like to do things on the YouTube side, where for as little as a dollar a month, you get early access to my content. Never ever expected, but always appreciated. That said, friends... I hope that I do see you on the next episode of this podcast. And of course, until then, sleep well.